Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Carl Carlson. Hey, Carl. This is Fred Shankleberg. Hey, Carl. I should get that in the right order. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we you, you mentioned a, a topic that we should you wanted to talk about, and it's we titled it "We Are All Consultants." And I know that you've been a consultant for a while, and I've been a consultant for a while. Yet I suspect we were both that role long before we actually became consultants at large. Yes, you are absolutely correct. This, this goes back for me, and I, I'll just tell a little story here. Um, I picked up uh, manager of product reliability at General Motors in oh. 1989. I'm sorry to hear and, that. Yeah. <laughs> it must have been a challenge. <laughs> and and it, was a, it was a big step for me, and it was a, like, like a whole new list of responsibilities, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And over the number of years there, I changed my approach uh, from let's have each of the reliability engineers have a niche and they go about doing their method. And when when asked, we'll provide a service. I changed that. And, and the change came about from guidance I had from a really good engineering director. And that engineering director uh, worked with me to improve the engagement of reliability in the organization. Hmm. And he said to me, he said, why don't we bring in an outside consultant and teach the engineers how to be consultants in the organization? Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting approach. And because, you know, we have this team of reliability engineers, what if they all became internal consultants and went about their job of helping the organization achieve reliability? And so, he brought in, he contracted with a, the Peter Block Consulting Organization, and I'm just looking at his book called, one of the books called Flawless Consulting. Which never happens. And, but. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and so we brought in this, uh, this group of people, and they taught us all how to be consultants. And one of the things I learned is that to be a good consultant, you don't just do what the customer says. Because that that would be one way you could say, okay, plan A is you listen to the consul- uh, the customer and you just do exactly what they say. What Peter Black taught us was that you listen to what's needed, and then if then you collaborate with the customer on what the right course of action is, because you have a certain amount of expertise that they don't have. On the other hand, they know what they need. And so by going back and forth, you set out a course of action that, that works. Now, I suspect, and this is based on, you know, similar type of training when I was at Hewlett-Packard of, of being a consultant, um, we, we did the very exact same thing. We had a, a team at a corporate group that our whole livelihood, we, we used to call it going around with a tin cup. We'd go to the divisions and and we were internal consultants. And so we had to behave like consultants. And the exact same advice is you got to listen to what's the pain point. What are they trying to solve? What is it they're looking to our expertise to help them with? And then 
one of the things that stuck with me in that training is that he says, well, we need you to do an accelerated life test. Okay. And then in that conversation is like, well, why? What is this yeah. technique that we're doing going to help you solve? What is it you're actually trying to get out of the, you know, so if we do the ALT, what does that get you? You know, oh, it gets this knowledge about this, this, and this. All right. So if you have that knowledge, what does that get you? Is oh, well, then we can pick this technology or that technology. All right. So the real question is, is this new technology adequate for your your product? Now let's look at how do we answer that question appropriately. And ALT is just one of many methods. And so let's, and I think the real value of a consultant is understanding the fundamental or the base or the actual problem they're trying to solve it because it almost never is what they say they want. <laughs> is what I well, found. yeah, that, that's the thing, and, and and this is why the the soft skills. And I know in, in chapter eleven of our book, uh, we have a, a chapter that's underway, soon to come um, out, soon to come, soon out. to come out <laughs> on uh, soft skills, and uh, that's an exciting chapter because, in, in essence, what you're saying, Fred, and I, and I agree, is that in in an organization, when you're as a reliability engineer, or reliability manager, you're working with the organization parts of it, is they'll have a request, which is good, um, or they'll work with you to to develop that request, but they don't necessarily know what they need. Well, that's, I mean, you've run into it, I'm sure, with many different clients. Is, oh, we need you to set up a test plan for XYZ product, you know, or system or process or whatever. Just, we need a test plan. And they're yeah. expecting that we will go away and come up with that you need 38 samples to run at uh, 85C for 16 hours. And for some rational or irrational reason, that will provide the data that they need to do something. And even if you're in the team and somebody says, hey, we need a test plan, and it's it's important to be able to ask and get the answer of why. What are you going to do with that information? Because if yeah. I just throw a bunch of samples in a chamber and heat them up for a while and then nothing happens, does that really mean anything? Is that useful for anybody? Is that is actually adding value or not? And if you can move away from just saying, oh, they want me to run this prediction calculation. Well, what do you need that information for? What problem are you really trying to solve? More subtly, you got to actually... Depending on the team you're working with, you can probably be blunt or not. But the 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 role of the consultant is as much teaching as looking at the process. But I think it's all couched in, and it's for any engineer, is that what we're doing has to actually make a difference. If it doesn't add value, if it doesn't help somebody make a better decision, it's really not a lot of reason to do something <laughs> otherwise. You're, you're right. You're right. And and if for, for the listeners here, we're talking about everyone that's involved in reliability or safety or quality, mm-hmm. uh, that, that the your job, part of your job is to provide a service to the rest of the company. And that means that you have to understand what they need. And you have to not just do what they're requesting. Like you need to uh, need to listen to what they're requesting, but as Fred says, the what they're requesting may not be needed or it might be the wrong thing, and you have to be, have the the skills to coach them through what the objective is, and then collaborate with them 
to develop the right course of action. And that's the essence of consulting. And that's why we're we're titling this podcast, We Are All Consultants. Well, um, think of the, an example of, of out of the quality world where somebody becomes a black belt in an organization, right? Or mm-hmm. a master black belt. I'm not really sure what the difference is other than one of them, I think, gets a cape. You know, they get a little <laughs> sweep into the room with their cape, <laughs> kind of as a superhero. But part of that process is a black belt. They often get called in to help solve some problem that they may or may not have the technical skills to actually solve, but they're good at facilitation. They're good at team building. They're good at uh, uh, problem identification. They're good at asking the right framing questions to fully understand the, the issue or the problem. Um, they do a lot of pre-work before they actually pull out the slide rules and do anything, right? Yeah. And, and that's, in my mind, that whole program is to learn enough skills, learn basic skills of statistics and process control and all these other different tools, quality tools, team building tools, brainstorming, meeting management, all the fundamentals, and then, and then get comfortable enough with the tool set that you can apply it as a consultant. And that's what I think makes a black belt. And so it's, it's, I think it's an example of, of a, a, a progression of skill sets that include becoming a consultant. They don't call it that. It's you're a black belt uh, for whatever reason, but <laughs> it's yeah, marketing, no, I think. <laughs> the, the array of reliability engineers, I'm just thinking of the thousands and thousands of people that are reliability engineers. How many look at their job as my job is to provide um, some skill like the, maybe they're an expert in design of experiments or they're an expert in, in a oh. uh, halt or failure or analysis or, or failure whatever. analysis. Yeah. And my job is to do that. So when I'm going to wait around until somebody tells me to go do that skill or that job. Mm-hmm. And that's one way to approach a business. You'll, you'll be successful to the degree that particular skill is needed at any given time. Or, you can say, I've got this skill. I'm a really, really good at halt. I'm really good at this, but I'm also a good listener and I'm a good uh, collaborator. And if my if the tool that I'm skilled in isn't the right one, I'll refer someone to someone who can. Now your job gets bigger and you'll have more opportunities for advancement. You'll be adding more value. So what, what Fred and I are saying is that expand your your vista as to what your your role is to include both the skills that you're trained in as well as good soft skills of listening and objective setting and like and all the other ones that you mentioned Fred expand it so that you can can help the client or the customer or, your or the engineer or your coworker yeah. get where they need to be well part of it, i think and by the way, all of the thousands of reliability engineers out there obviously listen to the podcast. So we appreciate that's that. Right. You know, we really do appreciate that. All the good ones anyway. Yes, um, that's right. <laughs> but part of it is, um, and I think it goes back to a premise that you and I, uh, Carl, you and I agree on a lot is um, just doing an accelerated test or just doing a halt test um, is a good skill. There's no 
helped out that having that capability and data analysis skills and failure analysis skills, all these other skills that are out available to us is great. Yet, if we apply the wrong skill, if we do halt when they really want to know how long will this last, we're kind of missing the boat here. Of really, Just because we always do halt doesn't mean that it's always the right job. And so refer, knowing enough to say, this is an appropriate thing to do halt for, is a mastery of your skill is to know when and where it's of value. Now, oh, it, it is so much. And you, you might think in the short term, somebody that's an expert in halt and they're and they find and they fight that dialogue, they find a halt's not needed, that they might be um, shortening their their career or something. In other words, limit, limiting their value. It's on the contrary. It's a, it's increasing your value because if you do a, a particular task that's not necessarily the right one, yeah. it's not gonna it's not gonna end up well. It's not gonna it taints the well. And somebody yeah. says, Oh, we tried that and that didn't work. And it's like, well, they shouldn't have, you know, looking back on it, if well, you were advised wrong. You shouldn't have done that. It, there's more to that. There's also the spot of of understanding the skills well enough on, is one part of it and when and where to use it. But the other part is the, the ability to help understand what is it that, that you're trying to actually do. Right? Um, even if it is halt is the right part, you know, right aspect of it. There's so much that goes into designing and running a halt uh, process that you still got to understand what is it you're trying to achieve? What's the objective here? What information are you looking for that this tool can provide? And then you expand it very quickly to how does that actually make a difference? Is this going to add enough value that it's worth doing? Because we're very quick to figure out how much stuff costs, but it's very difficult to know, well, if you get three failure mechanisms there and your team's going to just say, well, of course it broke. You overstressed it. Um, and they I throw get, it away, right? Then yeah. you haven't done your full job of implementing HALT. It's it's helping them to actually benefit from that information generated from the method. And that's consulting in my yeah, mind. Yeah, yes, it is. This is really good uh, conversation because I get, uh, very frequently, I get people contact me and say, Carl, we need an FMEA done, or we need this training done. We'll send you the and, documents. You just do it for and, us. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and I, and I see, I say, okay, the next step is a conference call where we're going to talk about your objectives. What? We, we need an FMEA. Yeah. We need an Don't, FMEA. That's the objective. Go, why no. do you need the FMEA? What's okay. what, where are you trying to go? What are the issues you're solving? And, and we, we talk about the objectives and maybe the FMEA is the right thing. Maybe FMEA training is the right thing. Uh, it, there's a whole set of things. But I would encourage people to always, like Fred Sater, always ask why. Why are you doing this? And always set the objectives with your your coworker, your client, your um, customer. Uh, make sure you got the right objectives. Well, one technique, and I, I know it's, it's, I mean, asking somebody says, hey, we need an FMEA, and you come back, why? That's a challenging question. And they may not have thought of that before. So one way I found... Uh, that softens that. And it might be a technique to use to um, sound more like a consultant, I guess, is, all right, so if we do an FMEA and you get those results, what does that get you? What is, what, how are you going to use that? Or what's that mean to you? And if they sure. say, oh, it gives us a document to put on the shelf in case we get sued, well, 
right? Well, then turn around and find yeah. somebody else to work with. That's right. It, or, oh, we're being told that we have to do FMEA, so we just need to get it done. And you're like, hmm, okay, let's talk about this some more. All right. But if they say, oh, then we've got a prioritized list of things to change in our design to make it better. And you're like, okay, you guys get what FMEA is about. And so if you get that prioritized list, what does that get you? Well, yeah. that, that, that aligns with our chapter in our book on decisions, right. which is knowing what the decision is that is being supported will help guide you to the right methods. I, I just want to mention one other thing, which I know we'll have a few more minutes in this podcast, and I want to ask a question, which is what do you do, and this is where I'm using my Plato of uh, adopting the ignorant mindset, what do you do when a customer is asking you to do something that's wrong. Now, now here we're talking about- <laughs> I was about to bring this example. Yeah. Is what happens when a customer says, I need an MTBF value? Yeah. Like, oh. Or I need to do a, I need to do a, <laughs> a Parts count prediction. criticality analysis, which assumes that the, you know, the failure distribution is exponential or whatever. Right. They, they, you're going to use a technique that's mandated right. that you do. What do you do? What's the- conscionable or conscientious response. What do you think? Yeah, in my mind, and I've run into this, I don't know how many times, is that we've got a mandate and it might be a military contract, it might be a customer requirement, uh, you know, the sale won't go through unless this box is checked. Or it's a regulatory requirement, which usually has very little to no logic behind it. It's been my experience with regulatory requirements, but that's mm -hmm. it's a condition to be in the market. So, and this came from, I think it was Dick Moss, uh, a conversation with him early on is, well, you got to do it. I mean, it's condition of sale. It's part of the process. It's setting the expectations. And you do what you should do and send that along also. So if they want a estimate of MTBF and you're doing, you know, a block diagram modeling and you're using all the distribution and data and you could have a, a, you could calculate the MTBF from your good data and give it to them, but you could also send them the Weibull curve or the resulting plot of expected time to failures. And with a little short explanation goes, this might be more useful for you to make your decisions. Now, exactly. It's, it's send more along. I mean, you can challenge it and say, what's the point of this? And they just say, hey, it's a requirement. If you don't do it, we're not going to buy your stuff. Right. Okay. The other thought I've had over the years is that sometimes if they say, oh, you need to put these things in a chamber under these conditions for X amount of time, and they're setting up a success test. And it's not something we would do because there's not a lot of risk with it. There's not something we can learn from it. If you've got the resources and time, put in more samples and or run them to failure so that you actually learn something. You know, can you leverage the requirements to further your knowledge of that product um, and maybe discover something? Take advantage of what you already have to do, but do it so that you actually have a higher chance of learning something. Yeah, very, very good. I, I, I think I get it. And, and, and just to uh, say it a little different way, uh, I look for the... I'll use Stephen Covey as the as the background here. I look for the win-win, mm -hmm. and uh, but similar to you, if it's if it's a condition of business, I'll I'll provide it if it's ethical and and you know if it's a if it doesn't give this reminds bad me. information. Yeah, well that 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 
that approach is I was, Diane and I were walking around and when we were visiting Florence and we're trying to find something, we're on these back roads and alleyways and stuff like that. And on the side of the building up on above the first floor was a little alcove with a head, a statue of a head. And it was a hand holding the nose from the top and holding their nose up. It was kind of like, (laughs) I'm going to give you this, but I'm going to hold my nose because it's just not something, it's distasteful. I don't like doing this, (laughs) but I'll hold my nose and, and, give you the that value yeah. anyway okay that's a good visual <laughs> so so part of that is is if it's a condition of business and if, if it's professional and ethical you can you can provide that but you look for the win-win mm-hmm. and so you look to also provide the service that gets them value. and so you have to engage you have to understand what the objectives are the same thing that we've been talking about i'll give an example of a story where uh in a what's called a famica failure mode and criticality analysis mm-hmm. was being required of a certain company that I was engaged with and uh, from the from the government. And they, they, the C part of the FAMICA was criticality analysis, and they required a quantitative criticality analysis that by the methodology that they were contracted uh, required an assumption of an exponential distribution. Mm-hmm. And so we went ahead with the FAMICA, but we also provided the background information that uh, the, doing the the a qualitative analysis and providing recommended actions and improvement to design, we essentially did it two different ways. Yeah. And within you used the same database and it had the same information, but we hit the button to calculate what the what was required. But we also provided them information that would improve their designs, improve their tests, and that project went very well. And, and I felt good about it. But I tell you, there's one aspect of this. If I'm required to do something that I think won't add value and I'm not allowed to provide anything else, that's a project I'll probably walk away from. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you're in the company and, and that you're being demand, you know, commanded to do that, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of the great resignation that we've been going through the last year. It That's not always the right answer. I think there are things you just got to hold your nose and make happen. But mm-hmm. I agree with you is that when you have that option to either expand it or do it twice, you know, do it right. And then get, use those results to generate the information or provide additional information or whatever. Um, but I do agree. And I've run into people that say, you know, I can't afford to lose my job right now. And I, so I'm just going to do it. And I think the trap is, is that if you, don't have that conscience to say, yeah, this is wrong, but I just have to do it. It's, it becomes just what you do. And I think that's the trap is that, well, it's, we always do it this way and you don't push back at all. You don't take a stand. You don't try to improve the, the, the value that's provided. Then I think you're destined for really poor job satisfaction. Well, yeah, and I think you are. And it's so important at that point. And this is a this is the subject of another podcast. But at that point, it's so important to understand what's your what are your career objectives? What are your what's your career strategy Mm -hmm. and get yourself into a position where you can feel passionate and good about what you do and add value and that type of thing. Because if you're caught in a situation that goes on too long where you're providing something that doesn't add value in your own opinion, you're not going to be a happy person. 
Yeah. Well, let's end on that down note. <laughs> <laughs> well, the up note is, is a good career strategy. Yeah. So the, the up note is a follow-up podcast at some point about career strategy of what do you do when you're in that situation and how do you turn it into a win yeah. for you and possibly for the company. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's, yeah, I, that's going to be a whole subject or two, or yeah, there's more to that. So we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Um, the basic premise is, is that in our roles as in quality engineering or in reliability engineering, um, to do our work effectively, we really need to think like a consultant. What problem are we really trying to solve? And will this activity actually add value? And that's a recipe to get invited back. And that's, part of being a consultant is that you're seen as a value add to the discussion, to problem solving and to information that you provide and advice you provide. And that's the crux of it. And it provides job satisfaction. It actually adds value to the organization, the people we work with, and you'll be more sought after. And I find that rewarding. Um, I agree. Well said. Yeah. So if you got questions of this, and I think we touched on about 200 things that you probably have questions on. So let us know. Uh, what's your view of this approach or this thought process? Head over to ascendoverliability.com slash go slash SOR and or get a hold of us through LinkedIn or our about pages. Uh, Carl and I and all the hosts are readily available to receive your questions. We'll provide responses as best we can. And then we also tend to expand on these uh, in podcasts. And so that's why we always ask for your input and we really do look forward to it so with that carl i think we'll get on to the rest of our day and we'll talk again soon i'm sure sounds good fred thanks cheers thanks for listening to speaking of reliability we invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show please let us know you can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.